0: Hello and welcome to While You Are Steeping, a curatorial tea and culture podcast. I'm Michael Mandelios. And I'm Hayden Rogers. So pull up a cup of tea. Let's get started. We're going to jump straight into the first of our tea travel tales. Uh, we've, got, we've got a little, bit of a sequence for you here or a saga in tea travel tales. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, there's just, we, we were looking at it and there is a lot, a lot of history surrounding tea and trade and really how tea kind of changed the entire world.
0: And really introduced the world to globalism and global capitalism, yeah, <laughs> sort of I mean we'll get we'll get to that. we silk can be credited pretty <laughs> pretty fairly for it as well. <laughs> there were other things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> silk, tea, horses, spices, that's about it. yeah, but tea was always there, you know, it's always on the list of things that people are like we want this thing absolutely so in case you haven't already gathered from our first two episodes we're plowing through a lot of this big history which is very very in-depth so please take this as a kind of listeners digest version we're gonna we're gonna give you all of the key facts and all of the stuff that we found really interesting and maybe it'll pique your interest and you can go away and do some research for yourself
1: yeah and we when by no means to experts we're all we're learning as well so we might miss things we, we
0: said that at the beginning we'll say that every time <laughs> we'll say it every time <laughs> forever learning <laughs> so getting straight into it the silk road is going to be our first uh, our first stop on on this little historical journey um so most of us already know a little bit about the silk road but I don't know about you I had to really dig my teeth into a fair bit of a fair yeah. bit of knowledge here yeah it was just a
1: huge
0: it's like cuz it's it's over it's like one and a half thousand years of trade history it's just like yeah okay <laughs> so that's what yeah. it was <laughs> and spanning three continents really kind of the first instance of anything close to global trade mm. um obviously it didn't extend as far as the americas or australia but you know it reached as far as egypt so that we're counting africa there asia and europe were all included in trade as soon as the silk road really kind of got off its feet um, yeah. and that was i'd say really the first time that we had a, a global market of any kind yeah i i
1: I think so. And like international relations and that sort of thing as well.
0: Mm, and um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, for those who don't know, the Silk Road is literally a road <laughs> or a series of, <laughs> of, um, of roads, pathways, what have you, that connected all of these major trading posts and cities throughout the three continents.
0: Mm. So it can be split up. If you really wanted to, you could split it into three major roads or three major routes, which then each have a whole bunch of winding branches and whatnot that um, kind of spear off it. So The first is just um, a branch that goes from the the olden capital of China, um, Chang'an, which we now call Xi'an, uh, and that goes southwest into the lower reaches of China and into India. And then there were two other main roads that pronged out westward from China, across into the Middle East, and um, and eventually as far as Turkey, which is then how it was able how the road and how trade was able to get to Europe from there as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and I guess we'll we'll be focusing more so on the Tea Horse Road.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, um, so something something that's important to understand with. Um, with the Silk Road history is how and why it came about. So, primarily, there there were a couple of major factors here, but the first was uh, that China was still, despite having built the Great Wall hundreds of years earlier, still dealing with um, issues uh, with from invaders from the north. And so, the emperor at the time sent out a... a an emissary or a scout, I suppose, to go in search of allies who would be willing to, uh, support China in their defense of, of the empire at the time. And on these travels, this guy actually got captured and didn't come back until about 14 years later. Poor thing. But (laughs) before, (laughs) before he got captured, he discovered a whole bunch of amazing cultures and, um, people and products and goods Along the way, along all the different paths and and uh, journeys that he took, and so when he came back and reported all of this information, that was effectively when China started to think, "Well, hang on, if we could make use of these routes and start trading with all of these, all of these uh, nations and all of these people, it could probably have a really great benefit to us." Yeah. So it's
1: called the Tea Horse Road because they uh, ended up trading uh mainly i correct me if i'm wrong but mainly with tibet and it went down into india as well but
0: that's correct no tibet yeah you're right
1: um and they specifically wanted the horses and tibetan ponies from tibet to use in
0: their conflicts, and were trading tea, so it is called the Tea Horse Road, <laughs> because these horses were much larger, they were, um, they were stronger, bigger, better, etc. For pretty much any and all kind of warfare. So yes, and they—that's right—they traded tea for horses because at this point, it's important to remember we're talking um, the very, very first century. Uh, Well, actually, as far back as 200 years BC, and then leading Mm. into the first century of the Common Era, um, tea was very much still at this point a luxury good, because it was not highly proliferated, not many people had access to it. Yeah, and still
1: a very um, Asian-centric commodity, like not, we should know this, but it wasn't. (laughs) In Europe at this point, like at all.
0: No, no, it, it hadn't made its way out of China at this point. So it wasn't then until the Silk Road was properly established and reaching all the way as far as Turkey that then trade routes as far as Rome uh, enabled Silk to arrive in Rome. Now, mm. you re- may remember when we were talking about our origin stories that we discussed that there were tea remains found in a tomb in Xi'an from about just over 2,000 years ago. And those tea remains basically prove to us that at the time that the Silk Road was operating, so at the time that silk was being introduced to the West, chances are tea was also being traded as kind of a spice or at the very least as as a marketable food good, but as a luxury item uh, with all of those countries. So basically, as soon as silk started being traded... So did tea. Yeah.
1: And, um, and we discussed, we, we uh, talked about how tea was a, you know, used as a currency to buy these horses. And it was mm. really, like, honestly used as, like, a physical currency because to transport it, it was, uh, at this point, really compressed into discs, like into cakes of tea. And so mm. these were, like, you know, in, like an easy physical form of currency that you could uh, hand around. And uh, tea was like, it's kind of like a universal language in a bit of a way because everyone, you know, wants to drink the tea. So, that, you know, it, in that way actually was quite a uh, tradable good, you know. like
0: Which is an interesting point of contention actually about silk because even though silk was incredibly valuable at the time because China were the only uh, the only nation that had an understanding of how to make it. They were the only ones that had access to, well, silkworms for one, and then also knowledge of the process. So, silk was very, very, very highly regarded in most places, but it was also actually a big subject of, uh, I guess, controversy in a way. Um, Rome in particular, the Roman Empire, there was a lot of dissent in Rome because a lot of the moralist purists in Rome at the time... Didn't love the idea of having people clothed in silk because it was very sheer. The silk that they were able to access wasn't thick, and so it was translucent. Um, which, of course, for the moralists, wasn't great. Um, <laughs> they, they weren't they weren't wild about that, and they also weren't wild about having all of their money effectively go out to foreign foreign countries uh being spent on luxury items so there was there was quite a bit of contention in the roman empire about the trade of silk but nonetheless the silk trade still continued because people wanted it and it was it was lovely (laughs) um so i something i found really fascinating was that tea at this
1: time was a very different beverage to how we know it today and you know particularly the european version of you know Black tea with milk and sugar, that sort of thing. Tea, in mm-hmm. fact, for a long time, was kind of like a savoury beverage. Um, but there is – I have a description here from a 4th century AD Chinese dictionary Ooh, um, okay. of how tea was prepared. Um, so it goes this. The leaves were plucked and made into cakes in the district between the provinces of hubei and Sichuan – the cakes mm-hmm. were roasted until reddish in colour, pounded into tiny pieces, and placed in a chinaware pot. Boiling water was then poured over them, after which onion, ginger, and orange were added. Salt oh, was also wow. often added.
0: Wow. See, when you said savoury, I was about to be a little bit sassy because I was like, is tea not already kind of inherently savoury before you sweeten it? But far out onion and garlic and, and- salt. Which also other cultures
1: later I I discovered also um, because sugar was expensive, they would flavour the tea with salt.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. So
1: because, and you remember in our origin stories, we were talking about, you know, the fact that sort of the fact that tea is medicinal was like a huge part of the mythology. And that's sort (laughs) of what this kind of drink was. It was like medicinal. Tea was really just like, it was like your medicine. Um, Yeah, And also the reason Tibet wanted tea was for their own (laughs) They had they sort of fell in love with this their own version of tea, which is yeah. Tibetan butter tea. Um, so they got a brick of tea, they broke it into chunks and toasted it on the fire, so they would destroy any of the like mold or infest- infestation of sex that had happened during travel. Um, because as we know, tra- like the the uh, t- tea horse road is like a long journey, <laughs> treacherous tre- <laughs> journey. Um. So then it's boiled in water for five to ten minutes. So you could imagine what we know about tea. It's going to be not particularly pleasant until it's dark mm. and strong, strained into a wooden or bamboo tea churn. Then yak milk, yak butter and salt are added to the tea and churned vigorously with a stick.
0: Wow. That sounds great. I want to try that. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I, we should do this. <laughs> like, how come I we don't? I fish? don't know if I would like it, but no. I want to try it. <laughs> Not at all. Speaking but... of treacherous, that's a really good point. Um, So, of course, you know, it's very easy to think about the Silk Road as just this big, long, wide kind of highway, maybe like a camel highway through the desert. Mm. But a lot of these routes, yes, they would follow that big path through the desert. But then once they would get to the mountains and whatnot, there were particular paths that were very treacherous, very dangerous. They would mm. wind along the sides of mountains and whatnot, not even wide enough really for one person, let alone two, to walk side by side, or much more concerningly, a person to walk with a camel or a donkey. Very, very dangerous uh, routes, but, you know, you've got to make a living. <laughs> yes. Bills <laughs> to pay. <laughs> well, also- tea
1: trade speaking of different kinds of teas this is a, there is a tea that was sort of created via trade on the silk road which well actually there's multiple but this one in particular is sort of like a whole branch of tea that is uh sort of begat by trade on the silk road um which is known as pu'er tea now I actually have tried this when I worked at T2 and ah. I didn't like it particularly but apparently it's like the champagne of teas okay so um that's it's what actually, we said
0: about Darjeeling. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> this though <laughs> is actually geographically protected, so that only tea, because Pu'er tea is named after the province of Pu'er, where mm-hmm. all the surrounding. So this is sort of where tea was packed at the beginning of the tea horse road, and mm-hmm. um and turned to the little cakes. Um. So yeah, it's recently, fairly recently, geographically protected, so that. Otherwise, it's it, it's either like pu'er tea from pu'er, or it is dark tea, and it's called dark tea because they packed the leaves into these cakes, and uh, as they travelled with them, the tea would actually naturally ferment and become really dark and take on this really like earthy, smooth flavor. It is mm-hmm. very earthy, if I if my memory <laughs> serves me correctly. But yeah. Okay. So, yeah, because of the way it was transported, it, like, naturally fermented into this type of tea, which, like, now is to create it in sort of a modern setting. They artificially fermented it, like, aged it, but now there's cakes, apparently, from the 1950s that are, like, naturally aged because it's sort of going full circle.
0: Um, wow. and they sell for around ten thousand
1: dollars a cake. Oh that's
0: horrifying. <laughs> oh that's I mean that's really cool, but that's horrifying. My because God. it's sort of
1: that sort of like champagne thing where it's like it gets better with age, like it literally yeah. keeps fermenting, keeps which I think was also a quality that was particularly relevant to this region as well. Like not all teas yeah. did get better with age. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah. Fascinating. Something
0: that's also really interesting about the Silk Road just generally is, aside from the ways in which tea culture may have changed because of traditions and whatnot being passed on across different continents, is the way that, as we said, the the Silk Road was really kind of the first example of globalism. And there was a huge sharing of culture as well as product over... Over more than a thousand years of people trading back and forth across thousands of miles, and so you know you had um, ideological beliefs being shared mm. and and deconstructed amongst people. So all of a sudden, Christians were meeting Buddhists, were meeting Taoists, were meeting uh, Islamic people, Muslims, um, all kinds of all kinds of cultural sharing there as well, and also. Uh, Techniques. So even though the, the process of making silk was kept very, very, very well under wraps for almost uh, 1,500 years, as really was um, tea production as well, they managed mm. to keep the tea trees protected in China. China's really good at keeping secrets, basically. <laughs> but one thing that they did uh, that they did share was making paper. So China was China was historically the first uh, the first country or the first uh, empire to figure out and start using paper and then they passed it on to a whole bunch of other nations on the trade routes and and showed them how to make and then, and then so that's kind of where writing started to become proliferated all around the world um which I just think is super cool that if we didn't have tea trading and silk trading and spice trading that we also might not have discovered proper documentation for quite a while. Yeah, totally.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the, also, there was one of the last routes that was sort of like created as part of this sort of intercontinental trade was the trade route between China and Russia. So this is like Puerti was sort of like, you know, 600 AD. It's when it sort of starts, whereas mm-hmm. this trade route is like much later like 17th century yeah. um which is like just before this whole thing collapses anyway <laughs> yeah um yeah um but China and Russia this is actually like their first i guess interaction as nations is over tea trade really well and other goods but you know and famously China and Russia you know, go on to spread communism and <laughs> dictatorships around the world. Together. Uh, great. So, you know, there you go. Another thing tea is involved in. But on, so this- um, Best pals brought together by tea. <laughs> <laughs> so this um this trade route also gave birth to the tea we know as Russian caravan tea. Of course. Um, which has kind of a bit of mythology, which I think this is sort of accepted as the the real birth of it. So mm. nowadays, Russian caravan is made as a blend with tea called Lapsang Souchong, which is a smoked tea, which, if you've ever had, is intense, like it just you you taste smoke for a long time afterwards. um <laughs> but um back in the day the the myth sort of is that uh they had to travel about ten thousand kilometers via Siberia for 16 months on this train. Um, And there was actually a quicker and shorter route um, that went through, um, went around Odessa. But because it was near the ocean, the tea would get affected by the, like, humidity. So they were like, no, you're going through Siberia. (laughs) You're taking the long route over the mountains through the cold climate.
0: Um, and I'm very glad that you mentioned this because that's a really interesting subject as well is how the quality of tea has been affected by the way in which it has traveled. so by the time you're talking, the sixteenth and seventeenth century, um obviously sea travel has started to become pretty prolific and we're gonna we're gonna do a whole nother episode on tea and how it traveled by sea. but what's really interesting is that r- the Russian caravan and that import export business, continued to run into the 16th and 17th century because the Russians had a real pride in the fact that the tea was better quality because it travelled by land. Mm. And it was. And, um,
1: yeah, and th- so the sort of mythology around the smokiness of, of Russian caravan tea is that they would, over this huge journey- you know, stop off every night, every whenever, make big fires to keep warm and the smoke would permeate the tea and create, by the time it got to Russia, it was actually, like, quite a smoky tea.
0: <laughs> wow, that's cool. I love that. I love that. So, and really, the the way in which we account f- for the, the use of the Silk Road kind of coming to an end, would you say that that can pretty much be chalked up to... Uh, the proliferation of sea travel
1: yeah, yes, uh it's sort of silk Road just became too slow, you know sea travel yeah. was infinitely faster, you could access everywhere you wanted to go, and it was just yeah left behind,
0: yeah, okay, well. That probably brings us to our next episode, which is going to be on travel by sea and and the massive market that uh, tea started to dominate as soon as sea travel and sea trading became a thing. Uh, but for the meantime, let's get into reviewing some teas. Yes, please. Just before we head into our review section, I just wanted to throw out a quick apology. Uh, As we head into the next section, you'll hear that there's a pretty distinct crackle on my microphone. I've tried to edit it out, but it just won't go away. So don't worry, it'll be gone by next week, but I just wanted to assure you that it's not your headphones, it's not your phone or your computer, it's just me and my silly microphone. Okay, so we've got quite an array of teas today. We're finishing up our Elmstock collection. Sad. Which is very sad, but that's okay. But also exciting because they sound delicious. So exciting and very delicious. And we also have uh, our second last rabbit hole tea today as well. Mm. So what will we start with? That's a good question. I think maybe the, the rabbit hole Okay, so we have Kakadu Dreaming from the rabbit hole. So this is part of the uh, Australian native tea selection that they sent us, uh, just like all of the other rabbit hole products we've tried so far. So, Hayden, what can you tell us about Kakadu Dreaming?
1: Well, uh, this has, it's sort of like a native chamomile. It has chamomile in it as well, but it also has a native plant called, well, I don't, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but uh, jillangin or
0: Jalungian? It could be. It starts with a J, so it might even be, like, Yulungan perhaps. Oh, true. Um, yeah.
1: And it's from the Kimberley region of Western Australia, and it's known for calming the mind, body, and spirit. They've sort of mixed this with some chamomile uh, to make, like, a sleepy time tea, which is, this is, a herbal sleepy time.
0: And that Yulungan's been harvested by the uh, by the Aboriginal people in the Kimberley region, who are the custodians of the land where the plant grows. The Yulungan plant um, is found, I think, specifically in that region, and I believe the indigenous people there are from the uh from the Nyul-nyul nation. Yeah. So shall we give it a whirl? Yeah, let's let's have a try. All right, you ready?
1: Ready? Here we go. Ooh, it smells. Ooh, it smells good. Oh, wow. Yum.
0: Yeah. It's. Oh, I'm going to be inarticulate about this one. I don't. I can't identify what it tastes like, but it's a really familiar childhood. Oh, my God.
1: Yes, you know what it is. It's like pasito
0: soft drink. <gasps> oh my god, that is what it is. Yes, <laughs> which is weird it's, because it's obviously not like passion fruit. But um, well, it is a bit. It's it's like I'm assuming it's our bilungum um,
1: is it's sort of like has this um tropical fruit. Right.
0: Flavor. Okay. Yes, that is what it is. Oh, thank God you picked that out because that would have driven me <laughs> crazy okay so um it's it's lovely I really like it it me too
1: and I like it better than just a, a standard chamomile oh definitely well. yes
0: I think what also sticks out to me is um, something that I said about the strawberry gum green from the rabbit hole was that I felt that it was a little bit too faint in its flavor whereas this mm. I think is is really it's coming through nice and clear it's wow that tropical it almost has a bit of like pineapple kind of flavor yes, to it as yeah. well Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh yes, it. Yeah, the the flavour is really nice and clear and strong, but not overpowering. I would definitely drink this before bed. I think it it fits the brief that it aims for. You know, as a dreamy tea. Mm. Interestingly, I did um I did a little bit of research on this uh, ylangen plant, and anywhere oh, that yeah. sells. A tea with this in it, to it as a dreaming tea. So I think th- I think there's actually a bit of um right. Aboriginal history and culture to the plant, um and and drinking it um to to kind of induce uh, dreaming and and so I assume it possibly also has spiritual connotations. Um, I'd love to find out more about that.
1: Well, yeah, hopefully we can do in in a, an episode coming soon. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> we can.
0: Uh- Wow, that's Talk more great! About that. I would, I would definitely recommend this, and I'd probably, <clears throat> I'd, I'd probably recommend it over like a traditional mint yeah. kind of sleepy tea, because I just think it's just that little bit more interesting. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's definitely uh, sort of.
1: I mean, it's nothing like a mint tea. Like, if your mint has that sort of like, I find mint has a bit of like an invigorating side Yes, to it. it's
0: refreshing. This is like this is mellow. Really kind of, yeah, mellow. Mellow's a great word for it. Well, speaking of mellow, maybe we should move on to the chai masala. Okay.
1: Yes, let's
0: do it. Oh, hang on, brewing instructions. So, oh. uh, that one was a solid five minutes at 100 degrees. So, nice and simple. Um, being that it's a herbal chamomile tea, you probably could steep it further if you wanted to, but five minutes definitely did the trick. Most of the teas today are a five-minute brew. In fact, all of them. Yeah. Mm, Yes.
1: Yeah. So next up, we have the Chai Masala from Elmstock Tea. Uh, I'm excited about this. The brewing instructions are five minutes brewing, of course, as we've just said, but you add hot milk and sweetening. It says sweetening. I've put honey in mine. What have you put in your?
0: I actually haven't put anything in mine. Oh. Sometimes I know. Sometimes I would put honey in, um, and I actually have the most amazing honey at the moment. My friend Catherine, um, who lives here in Brisbane, has bees in her backyard, so I have yeah. a jar of of honey. From her backyard bees. Funny you should say that because the honey I put in this is also from someone's backyard bees. Amazing. (laughs) Great. Uh, But no, I tend to like to take my chai sometimes without sweetening. Um, So I think I'm going to try it straight first. And Mm. if I'm not sold on it, then maybe I'll put some of Catherine's honey in. Okay. And it also says garnish with cinnamon and nutmeg powder, which I've also done. I've done cinnamon, but not nutmeg. I
1: I just used um, mixed spice, so it also has some clove in there. (laughs) That's
0: nice. nice. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let's do it. Oh, Oh, what milk did you use? I used oat milk.
1: And I used soy. Excellent. As we are wont to do. (laughs) It
0: worked surprisingly well in the... It was my first time really trying to heat up oat milk for a chai in a pan or a pot. Mm. Um, And it Mm. it worked surprisingly well. I was expecting it to kind of separate, but it didn't. So, all right. Mm. We ready? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I mean, we really we we need to try a bad tea at some point because this is getting yeah. rid- ridiculous. But
1: mm. does such a thing exist? Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah, mm. I don't have too much to say about this one. I think it's just everything you want in a chai. I agree. It's nothing particularly like nothing's jumping out at me as being super different. Um. No. And in fact,
1: it is also a very smooth chai. I don't know about you, but I've had probably an overbrewed chai. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. probably what it is. But like some chais are just that, like really spicy in your mouth. Yes. Which too spicy. It has its time and place as well. But... This is like a, you know, delicious comfort. This is like your replacement for a hot chocolate.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think something that you've really keyed onto here as well is often if I order chai when I go out, they carpet bomb it with cinnamon and then Mm. that's all you can taste. And I'm Mm. really happy that that's not what I'm getting here. So, you know, credit to myself for my cinnamon skills. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, I I mean, you should try Mm. it with sweetening because obviously it's just... It's re- I have to say, though, for anyone out there who's not a big sweet tooth, this is really great without... I haven't added the honey yet. Um, I don't know if I will. It's really good without it. Fair enough. I mean, mm. I kind
1: of wish I tried it without first now, just mm. because it would be interesting to
0: know. Has But your honey is great?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, on? it's
0: fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, that was, yeah, we said five minutes, add um, add hot milk, add sweetening if you need to as well. Um, and, well, that's pretty straightforward for that one. At 100 degrees, obviously, everything at 100 degrees. It does make a huge difference heating up the milk in advance rather than adding cold milk to your hot chai. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit of extra effort, but it's it's worth it. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you'll just get a, a lukewarm chai and you're not going to get the same effect.
1: Yeah. So... Tea number three today is a very interesting one. We're excited because it's going to lead to a little bit of day drinking. Um, (laughs) We have the fruit quencher uh, from Elmstock also, which I don't know. It smells divine. Mm -hmm. um, It's this beautiful ruby red color, which it gets from the hibiscus flowers in there. But yeah, so this is, again, five to six minute brew, one teaspoon per cup. Do not put milk in this absolutely not <laughs> i mean that's kind of just gross in general to put milk <laughs> in a fruit tea but also there's a bunch of fruit teas particularly anything that has like strawberry or berry in it the acidity of the berries will curdle your milk particularly if it's dairy milk and you'll have like instantly curdled lumpy Disgusting. milk in your tea no, no thank you which is a common mistake made at Tea too with uh, strawberries and cream because you think you can put cream in it, but you really so can't. So, the
0: reason we're particularly excited for this to be our last Elmstock tea that we're going to try is that when um, when we got sent all of the teas that we've sampled from Elmstock- Um, the lovely Terry, who we mentioned before, sent us a whole bunch of instructions and spiels about each of the teas, very detailed. And this one in particular had the longest and most interesting spiel. And basically he said- Glowing, glowing testimony. And he said, you know, if you can, you should try it three different ways. And we were like, okay. Um, So, he's recommended that we try it hot, of course, and then iced- and then he's recommended trying it with bubbles, so uh, that's why Hayden and I are very excited to be um, to be drinking this tea at one in the afternoon. Um, I now I've added half a teaspoon of sugar to my cold one, to my iced version. So I've got I've got hot and and okay. um, straight, and then cold with uh, half a teaspoon of sugar. And then I've got, I don't know about, what bubbles have you added? I've added Moscato to mine.
1: I haven't even, e- oh, that will be delicious.
0: I haven't even opened this what, bottle yet. What is it? Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. So, we're going to start drinking uh, the hot one first. All right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Oh. Mm.
1: Lovely, lovely. So, as with all fruit teas... It smells because because we're used to like we've trained our senses to smell fruit and be like sweet. It always smells so sweet and delicious. And then you try it and it has it's going to be tart. Like, just expect that. Yeah. But lean into it because it's delicious and refreshing. I don't know. I'm actually not a huge fan of hot fruit teas, though, just because it almost becomes like fruit soup to me. I don't know.
0: Oh, I totally disagree. I This is, these kinds of teas are where I live. <laughs> I have so many teas like this. Um, T2 used to do a Valentine's Day kind of like limited edition tea mm-hmm. called All Nighty Aphrodite. That's true, true. <laughs> disgusting. But the tea itself was quite good. Um, and this kind of reminds me of that one a little bit. Again, it's the hibiscus in there that, you know, whenever you get like a really blood red tea... That's always going to be kind of the, the dominant flavour. Mmm. Mm. It's tasty. Yeah, this is... It's lovely. It's, it's exactly really what you nice. want from a fruit quencher. It's smooth. It's robust. It, um, it goes down easily. It's yeah, tart.
1: It's... It has low and high notes.
0: Yeah, it really is kind of everything. Okay, do we move on to iced? Yes. I almost want to cleanse my palate with something. I think I'm going to have a quick sip of the of the Kakadu Dreaming just to. Good idea. I was a bit concerned of us um trying milky chai
1: and then going to a fruit dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. Here we go.
0: Oh. See, I love this. I love it when it's iced. <laughs> I tell you what even just that half a teaspoon of sugar has really made a difference for me with it being cool. It's got that you know it it tastes it tastes like cordial now to me but not in that awful syrupy sweet kind of way but just in that really summery re- refreshing I could sit on the you know on the schoolyard and drink this for you know an <laughs> hour and, and and it's great because of course there's you know practically nothing in it that isn't good for you. Yeah. Except for that half a teaspoon of sugar.
1: Precisely. (laughs) But of course, you could replace that with a, like, I guess, artificial sweetener or stevia or something like that. I'm sure it would even be fine without it. Well, yeah, I'm having it without. And I I like it. It's sort of like the sophisticated cordial in a way, because (laughs) it's like, you know. For something to be sophisticated, it's mm. not sweet. <laughs> Essentially, that's that's my definition of sophistication.
0: Also, I'm ploughing um, through this. Like, as we're talking casually, I've already drunk about half of a cup.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's great.
1: And do you know what?
0: You, you mentioned in cordial,
1: it really does smell like Coddies. Like raspberry cordial or blackberry?
0: I was going to say raspberry, like a traditional raspberry for anyone not in Australia. Cotties is like our most typical supermarket brand of cordial. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's your go-to, yeah, raspberry kind of. But again, without that awful syrupy, yeah. you know, it's not, you're not going to feel it sticking in your mouth for the next hour. Also... I think it it becomes less robust when you cool it down. Like it doesn't have that tartness mm. that you were talking about before. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, the, it's still sort of. Mm. It's not. It's not become sweeter, but like, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it, the without the heat, it's it's not that it's not as bitey. I suppose it's
0: like yeah, bitey or bold. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't have that kind of punch yeah. to it. it. It it just kind of goes down easily and comfortably, and mm, it's lovely.
1: And actually, that's a really good point. That fruit teas, there is this like. Really, added element of boldness when they're hot.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely, which I love. But I think I think you're you're a bit more partial to the cold ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, now we get to our favorite, our favorite step, our favorite version. All right. Just pop some bubbles, but hey, <laughs> that was lovely. All right. Okay, um,
1: so this is the personal suggestion. Yes, from
0: Terry himself. All right. Oh, Michael, that's that's a full glass. <laughs> <I'm-> <laughs> it's fine. It was like half, almost a third of the glass was tea before I added the Moscato, so it's fine. Okay. <laughs> also, moscato, moscato is a very weak wine. All right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's... Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was just like... This will be fine. Like, it will just be, like, a thing. But no, like, this is where the the tartness is, like, (laughs) totally just come into its own because it complements the wine perfectly. This This is essentially strawberries and champagne, you know?
0: This is also, I think, like, the definition of what I was saying before about it being summery. The second you add a sparkling wine to this, and I've gone Moscato, so let's remember that this is very sweet wine now. Um, added to this, this cold tea. Oh, it, it just—I could very dangerously go through many, many, many glasses of this without even noticing.
1: Absolutely, and also, I—I I mean, my—I've not used a particularly sweet champagne, but suddenly, maybe just because of the um, the carbonization, mm-hmm. it's potentially sort of awakening a bit more sweetness.
0: Yes, in in the tea, you mean? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, I love this. This was such a good idea. Is is that science? I think that's actually science. That um, <laughs>
1: that that carbonation makes things sweeter.
0: It can. I mean, it, it just generally unlocks stuff in in yeah. in foods and and drinks. Um, oh my god.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank I'm God, definitely- Terry made
0: this suggestion because man. <laughs> I, I'm i going to try doing this with a lot of teas now, I think. I think I'm going to get a whole bunch of herbal teas <laughs> and just start trying to mix them with sparkling wines. <laughs> just like Earl Grey and sparkling wine. In fairness, Terry did not specify wine. He said anything with bubbles. So, I guess something that would be interesting would be to mix this with, like, tonic water or, you know, mineral mm. water or something like that and see what happens as well. Yeah, or, like, a a punch with lemonade and that sort Mm of thing. mm Mm-hmm, Yep, for sure. Oh, yeah, this tea would go brilliantly in a punch. Like, you wouldn't even need to Mm. put the actual fruit in the punch. You could just pour some tea in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yep. Great. Okay. So. So, this week,
1: we are giving away, of course, the fruit quencher because- After we've tried this, we just need to give it away to everyone. Absolutely. So we have two, count them, two packets of the fruit quencher. Uh, And what do we have to do in order to?
0: this, Michael. Maybe I'll enter myself because I want more. So, if you want to win one of the bags of fruit quencher from Elmstock, you can head to your Instagram or your Facebook, or you can email us at steepingpodcast at gmail.com. We don't really care how you do it, but one way or another, make sure you tag us. And we want you to tell us or show us or post about Your most interesting and most exciting tea concoction that you've ever come across. So, Hayden, Mm. you used to make an Earl Grey cake, didn't you?
1: I did, yes. I, I have attempted actually multiple times to make an Earl Grey cake. And to be honest, I could attempt it again. I don't think I'm fully satisfied.
0: Oh, I don't know. The one I had was pretty good. Um, so it might be, it, it might be good. a baked good. It might be, uh, like, like us here with our tea and our sparkling wine, or it might be some other kind of brilliant tea hybrid concoction that you have come up with, or even that you've just tried somewhere else, um, or found on Pinterest yeah. or whatever, but let us know. So tag us, make sure you tag us in your post on your story or on your feed at Steeping Podcast or email us at SteepingPodcast at gmail.com. We want to know about your favourite and best tea concoction. So that brings us to the end of this week, this episode. Uh, Big thank you to Terry and Elmstock Tea for the six teas that we've tried over the last few episodes. We'll be sad to say goodbye, but we're excited to move on to some other amazing tea providers and stores as well.
1: Yeah, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Um, You can find us on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and any podcatcher of your choice. Make sure you subscribe if you're already listening. And follow us on at Steeping Podcast on all your social media platforms.
0: And I'm Michael Mandelios on Instagram. And I'm at Hayden Rogers on Instagram. Thanks very much, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. T-Infinity and beyond. Oy. If you're a fan of the show and you're a fan of That's Not Canon Productions podcasts, you can also head to patreon.com forward slash that's not canon and you can pledge your support. So you can donate monthly as little as one to five dollars or you can donate even more. And that will just support uh, the network to help keep podcasts like ours running. At the moment, we're not really making any cash off this. We're just doing it for fun. But if you'd like to at least support the network to help keep podcasters like us, you can head to patreon.com slash that's not While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to that'snotcanon.com, Canon with one N.